0: Well, in case you forgot, Tuesday is election day and you need to vote. So, please write it down if you haven't done it already. But my guess is many of you have probably already voted. Who here has already voted in the election? Yeah, a lot of you. It was even higher during the 9-15. I think most of us just want this thing over with. And so, we voted early. We're not alone. Actually, as of Tuesday early turnout is twice of what it was in the last presidential election. This is the only election I can remember that I got one of those I Voted stickers and I kept it. It's in my wallet because I'm so proud of myself for finishing this duty. So many of you though have not yet voted and pretty much all of us are going to have to vote again unfortunately at some point in the future. And so this morning I want to talk to you about our civic duties, our responsibilities as citizens in this Country, And we're going to start with the responsibility to vote. This privilege we have to vote in a democratic election. I want to help you to understand how we should vote as followers of Jesus Christ. How do you approach voting as a follower of Jesus? I'm going to give you six steps to guide your voting. So first step to voting like Jesus is vote. You, you should vote. That should go without saying. And yet in the last presidential election, only 57% of eligible voters in our country bothered to show up. 43% stayed home, including many Christians who chose not to vote for one reason or another. And that's not good because democracies like ours work best when the electorate shows up. Democracies depend on a well-informed public showing up to vote if we do not engage if we do not vote then our democracy will suffer and so voting is actually part of how we show love to our community and our country in the name of Jesus it's actually a loving thing when you walk into that voting booth and you vote in a well informed way you are demonstrating love for all other citizens of this democracy so you should vote because it shows love to the community. Second reason you should vote is it's a unique opportunity to glorify God. I mean, really, we, we disparage voting sometimes, but what a privilege it is in this country that on these unique days, every couple years, we get to walk into this little booth and demonstrate to the world biblical priorities about how we pick candidates. We get to glorify God by voting in a way that upholds His interests and His desires and His kingdom. So you should vote. It's how you love your community, and it's how you glorify God. Now, just to clarify, that does not mean that you have to vote for every office on the ballot. For a particular office, you may decide that none of the above is the best option, and that's okay. You can skip certain ones, but you still need to show up and vote. And it's a good reminder to us that most of what affects people in our community is actually local politics not national politics. So even if the presidential election has you tied up in knots and you can't pull the lever and vote for any one of those candidates, that's okay. Show up and vote for all of the local races because those are actually the political races that will affect most people in our community the most. Okay, so we should vote. That's the first principle of voting like Jesus. The second is we should pray for wisdom. We're told in the book of James chapter one, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. God likes to give you good things. So if you need wisdom to vote wisely, he'll give that to you. Just ask. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to whisper the name of a candidate in your ear. It would be nice if he'd do that, but he doesn't. But he will give you insight, and he'll give you understanding to see the issues and make a good decision. And while you are praying and asking God for wisdom, let me plead with you to also pray and ask God to save all of the candidates. Let's pray and ask God to get down into their heart and open their eyes to the truth of Jesus. Why? Because for Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump and all the others, their primary identity is image bearers of God. That's who they are. Not Republican, not Democrat, not politician. They are made in the image of God. That's who they are, made in God's image. And God loves them so much that he sent his son to die for them. Jesus died for Hillary Clinton's sins. He died for Donald Trump's sins. He died for all of their sins because he loves them more than they love themselves. And that's saying something. (laughs) God loves them desperately. And wants them to wake up and see that reality and believe the good news that Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead. So let's please pray for their salvation because that's way more important than any election. So pray and ask God for wisdom and salvation. Third step to being a biblical voter is to study the candidates and the issues. It should go without saying, but it's important to clarify. God is not a Republican, nor is he a Democrat, nor is he independent, or whatever you call the Green Party, or any of those things. He's not a particular party. He's above all of that. So you cannot walk into the voting booth and vote a particular party line and feel like you have fulfilled your biblical obligation. That's not how it works. God is above politics. And so what he wants you to do is study each candidate, study their character, study their records, study their policies so you can make a biblically informed decision about each office. And if that leads you to vote for all people under one particular political banner, that's fine as long as you arrived at that decision by studying each candidate and each office. So God is calling you to become a well-informed voter. So focus on each candidate's character, record, and policies. Those are the three things that matter, not their charisma or their popularity or what, happened, what particular celebrity endorsed them. That's not what matters. Look at their character, their record, and their policies. Now, if you need help getting to those things, I would encourage you to check out one of these websites. These are nonpartisan voter guides at votesmart.org or vote411.org. You can go and look up the candidates for a particular office and it will show you things that they have said. It's actually their words, their policies, their positions, and you can make a well-informed decision about who to support for each office. So make sure that you read and you study What each candidate stands for so that you can make a well-informed decision. And once you have studied the candidates and the issues, go vote based on biblical priorities. And what I mean by biblical priorities is when you look at the Bible and you try to understand politics through the grid of Scripture, what you realize is that not every political issue is equally important. There was a survey done a couple weeks ago by Lifeway of evangelical Christians, and they found that the single most important issue for evangelical Christians determining who to vote for in this presidential election is the economy. In other words, most evangelicals vote for the person who they feel like is best for their pocketbook. That is not good. That's not good because when I read this book, I don't find my personal financial situation as a very high priority. That's not good to walk into the voting booth and choose to vote based primarily on self-interest. That's not what followers of Christ do. We don't get a pass to be selfish in the voting booth. We're called to be selfless in all areas of life, in all things that we do. So as followers of Christ, when we're stepping up to vote, we cannot primarily think about our own interests or the interests of our family or the interests of our business. We must think about the good of all. We must be selfless in the voting booth. You got to think about the needs of the nation as a whole. Now, as you think about the nation, the needs of the nation as a whole, what are the most important needs? What are the most important issues? Well, that's hard to answer. It is challenging to take a book written thousands of years ago and apply it to modern political issues in this American democracy. Because this wasn't written to our political system. So how you prioritize all of the issues at stake in this election is going to be challenging, and our lists are going to differ from one another. But here's my list. As I read the Bible, in my personal opinion, the particular issues that seem to matter most to God are things like War and abortion and poverty and violence and social justice. I find a lot of passages about these issues because these issues affect the life and death of millions of people. So that's like hugely important. So I'm going to pick a candidate who's going to keep us out of war and is going to fight social injustice and is going to reduce abortion. That's what I'm looking for. I don't see any evidence that God ranks high on the list tax policies or health care policies or things of that nature. Those are important to us, but they don't rank high on the list of God's priorities. Okay, so you find your list of priorities based on your reading of scripture. You rank your priority list and you look for these candidates because you've studied them. You've looked at their character, their record, their policies. And then you walk into the voting booth and you vote your conscience. And as soon as you have voted your conscience, you pat yourself on the back because God is pleased with you no matter who you voted for. You don't need to feel fear or guilt because you didn't vote for the person that someone else told you to vote for. You don't need to feel fear or guilt because you didn't vote for what other people think is the Christian candidate. Now, if you prayed, studied, read your Bible, and voted your conscience, then you did it. You honored God and he's pleased with you no matter who you ended up voting for. Okay, so vote your conscience. And then, fifth step to voting as a follower of Jesus is now be gracious to everyone who chose to vote differently. A moment ago, I tried to be very, very careful to say that my list of priorities was my list of priorities. Trying to figure out what issues politically are most important to God and how to rank them and how each candidate stacks up to them, that's incredibly tricky. That's difficult. And I don't have any claim upon biblical truth or wisdom that you don't have. That's why I'm never going to tell you to vote a certain way. I'm never even going to tell you who I voted for. Why? Because who am I to tell you who to vote for? Pastors don't get extra chapters in their Bible than you. We don't get extra access to God's spirit than you. I don't have any claim on wisdom. You don't have. And so each of us is called to study the word of God on our own, study the candidates, arrive at our position, and then give grace to one another. We can't judge one another. I can't tell you that your vote was wrong. You can't tell me that my vote was wrong. If you prayed, studied, voted your conscience, then you did what God asked you to do. And different Christians are going to arrive at different voting choices. That's just going to happen. Why? Because we all have different experiences and backgrounds and cultural identities that will lead us to make different decisions in the voting booth. That's why there is no singular Christian vote in this election. There's all of us as children of God simply, prayerfully, biblically trying to arrive at the candidate God wants each of us individually to choose. So go vote your conscience and then give grace to everyone else. We can't judge one another. We must give grace. But what does that actually mean to give grace to people who voted differently than you? Well, at its essence, to give grace to someone in election means that you choose to assume the best about the motives and intentions of everyone who voted differently than you. You choose to believe that those people are godly and intelligent and wise and doing their best to honor God. They just happen to vote differently than you, and that's okay, because God is big enough for that. You choose not to assume the worst about the other party. So if you vote Republican, don't assume the worst about Democrats. If you vote Democratic, don't assume the worst about Republicans. If you don't vote, don't assume the worst about everybody who does assume the best that's what it means to show grace to one another none of us are perfect we don't know the right answer most of the time and so let's give grace to one another why because remember what Jesus told us the world will know we are his disciples by our love for one another not our voting record We show the world that we are the people of Jesus by loving each other graciously, not by voting in a particular way. Okay, so do your duty, vote your conscience, but then give grace to everyone who disagreed with you. Finally, sixth step in voting as a follower of Jesus is to trust the results to God. Trust the results of this election to God. It tells us in Daniel 4, verse 32, the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And what that tells us is that the outcome of Tuesday's election was already decided infinite eons ago, and there's nothing we can do to change it. Now, Tuesday's already decided. So why do you vote? Well, you are not voting as a follower of Christ because you think your vote keeps the world spinning. You vote out of obedience to God. God wants you to do that, and so you do it, recognizing that God's already made his decision. He is sovereign, he is on his throne no matter who wins on Tuesday. And so don't worry about what Tuesday will bring. No matter who wins the election, God wins. Because he's the one in charge. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He is sovereign of this universe. He wins no matter who wins. So we don't need to be afraid. Remember what Jesus told us in the book of John Chapter 16, these are the words of Christ. He says, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. I want you to notice the verb tense at the end of that verse. What tense is that? English majors. It's past tense. I have overcome. It's not future. I will overcome. Often as Christians, we think about, well, Jesus is going to come back one day and fix everything. No, no. Jesus has already won the world. He already owns the universe. He is already the king on his throne. And the result is we can have peace. We can have peace as we draw near to Christ, knowing that he is the king, knowing that he is the sovereign, knowing that he's got this. There's nothing to fear on Tuesday. Jesus has said, I've already overcome the world, all of it. And so you can have peace and courage in me. And so I would encourage you when you feel afraid, when you feel anxious, when you feel worried about the craziness going on in our nation and in our world, I would encourage you to stop and think about Jesus. I know that sounds like the Sunday school answer, but sometimes Sunday school was right. Stop and think about who Jesus is, what he's done for you, what he's promised you. And as you meditate on Christ, you will find courage and peace that will drive away the fear and the anxiety. So very practically speaking, I want you to make this your mantra this week. God does not want me to worry about this election. He's got this. God does not want me to worry about this election. He's got this. I had a great conversation after the first service with somebody who was, I felt like they were realizing this truth. They were recognizing this truth. And, and the reality came out of that, you know what? Maybe this election with all of its tragedy and absurdity and, and craziness, maybe it is actually a gift to us, to the church. Why? Because everyone else is freaking out. So we get to stand up and say, you know what, it's okay, because we know the king. And he doesn't need permission from Donald or Hillary or anyone else to keep the world spinning. He's got this. And so you get this unique opportunity this week to go to work or go to class and not freak out. You know the king. And so you can demonstrate his peace, his courage to the world around you. Incredible opportunity this week for the church. We get to be lights of peace and courage to a nation living in fear. So, show up and vote. As you vote, remember these six things. We should vote. We should do it prayerfully, asking God for wisdom. We need to study the candidates and the issues. Get deep into what's going on. Vote on, based on biblical priorities. Think through your list of issues. Rank them as you see fit. Vote for the candidates that line up with those issues. Vote your conscience and take great peace in that. Then give grace to everyone who disagrees with you and trust the results to God, knowing that he's got this. That's how you vote as a follower of Jesus. Now I want to talk about something much more important. I want to talk about our civic duty to serve. Turn to Luke chapter 10. As you're turning to Luke 10, I'm going to give you a little history lesson. You may not be aware of this. Our world changed forever on January 11th, 1838. January 11th, 1838, there was a man named Samuel Morse who sent his first telegram across two miles of wire in Morristown, New Jersey. Now, for you youngsters, you're not familiar with telegrams. This is the little clicky thing that they have in movies where some guy's clicking out in Morse code, dot, 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 dash, dash, dot, dot, dot. It sends electrical impulses over thousands of miles in a a nanosecond so that you can actually send signals, messages, all kinds of information long distances in an instant. And that transformed the world. Samuel Morse knew that it would. He said of his invention, it would make one neighborhood of the whole country. He was right. First you had the telegram, then the telephone, then the radio, then the TV, now the internet. And the result is that the world looks like this. This is the world visualized just by Facebook connections. Every person is connected to billions of other people. Truly, the neighbor, it's not just one country that's our neighborhood. The whole world is our neighborhood. It has transformed human society dramatically. We are now a one-world neighborhood. And what does that mean for you? Well, I want you to think about what your day would be like 300 years ago. You wake up in the morning stretch and then go talk to your friend and get your news for the day and what would your news be what would all be local stuff because you can't hear about something going on 100 miles away you would hear about the opportunities and tragedies happening in your community you'd hear about things that you could actually do something about so you would hear farmer bob's house burned down last night well guess what you know farmer bob he lives right over there You can bake him a pie and take it to him. You can invite his kids to come stay with you while he rebuilds. You can help him put nails in the wall. News was actionable because it was local. What about now? You wake up in the morning and what news are you hearing about? You are hearing about everything going on everywhere. So you instantly know about the latest refugee crisis going on in Europe. You instantly know about another earthquake in Italy. You instantly know about another nuclear test in North Korea. You instantly know about a Kardashian being robbed in France. You know everything. But all of it is far away. None of it is actionable. What can you do about any of those things? Well, you can pray, but not much other than that. Unless you're willing to relocate and go over there, you can't do anything about any of that news, any of those tragedies, any of those opportunities. They're not actionable for you. And so what's the result? Well, all of that distant news breeds only anxiety or apathy in you. It's just going to make you anxious or make you want to tune out because you can't actually do anything to fix those problems. And so what we're learning as a human society, this is not just believers, everybody is learning this. What we are coming to see is that distance increases anxiety and apathy. The further I am away from an event or a need or a crisis, the more likely I am to just get anxious or apathetic towards it because distance prevents me from actually doing anything to meet that need. But in contrast, proximity increases compassion and impact. The closer a need is to me personally, the more likely I can have an impact on that need and demonstrate compassion to that person. So what I'm going to challenge you to do today is to begin to withdraw mentally from all of the anxieties and worries way out there and instead engage locally here and the needs are in front of you so that you can find compassion for someone you can see and serve them in an impactful way. What I'm going to challenge you to do very simply is to stop worrying about everything bad out there and instead start doing something here for someone in need. That's the pattern that we see in Jesus when he teaches us the story we're about to read, the story of the Good Samaritan. Look with me, Luke chapter 10. Let's start in verse 30. Jesus replied and said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away leaving him half dead. And by chance a priest was going down on that road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite also when he came to the place and saw him passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him and when he saw him he felt compassion." And came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. The first thing I want you to notice is what the Samaritan does not do. He does not do anything to reduce the frequency of muggings on the Jericho Road. He, he does nothing to reduce this cycle of violence that happened on highways throughout the ancient world. Why? Because he couldn't. He's one guy on a donkey. There is nothing he could do to fix the global problem of violence. And I think that may be part of the reason that the priest and Levite walk on by. They would have seen this often. We know that actually the Jericho Road was incredibly dangerous. People were robbed and beaten all the time. And so they're walking on by and they see another poor sad soul by the side of the road. And they walk to the other side and keep going. Why? Because what can I do? I can't fix it. It's going to happen again. Best to just protect myself and get moving. Get out of here. They allow the hugeness of the problem to create apathy within them. The Good Samaritan knew better. He knew he couldn't fix a problem of violence, but he knew that he could help this one guy. And so what does it say? It says he draws near. He comes near to the man and he sees his wounds. He sees the blood. And what is that well up within the Samaritan? Compassion. He feels compassion for the guy because he draws near to him. We see that same principle in the most famous verse in the book of James, the end of chapter one, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God, Our our God and father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. To visit, that word in Greek, it means to literally go see the person in need with the intent of helping them. It doesn't mean watch cable news for three hours about somebody suffering somewhere. It doesn't mean like a post on Facebook about somebody suffering somewhere. It means to actually get up and go to the place that the person is suffering, see them with your own eyes, hear their needs with your own ears, and the result will be compassion will stir up within you. When we draw near to people in need, in the flesh, seeing them with our own eyes, hearing them with our own ears, then we are more likely to see them as people rather than as statistics or problems or threats. So we draw near to the person and that proximity of space wells compassion up within us. And what's the result of compassion? Well, in the story of the Good Samaritan, compassion bred sacrifice. Compassion motivated incredible sacrifice. The Good Samaritan, he went way beyond voting or posting something on Facebook. He gets off his donkey and he sacrifices He sacrifices time, a whole day's labor gone to help this guy out, whole day given up. He sacrifices money, two denarii that he gives to the innkeeper. That's two days wages. All of your money from two full days of work he gives to help the guy. He sacrifices comfort because now the guy's on the donkey and the Samaritan's walking the whole way to wherever he's going. And biggest of all, he sacrifices safety. He's still on the Jericho Road. He knows what's out there. It's full of boulders, rocks, valleys, lots of places for robbers to hide. And what does he do? He gets off the donkey and bends down and pulls out his stuff. He makes himself a target. He sacrifices his safety to care for this man. And what does Jesus say at the end of the story? Go and do the same. This is our model. This is what God wants of us. He doesn't want us to worry about everything bad out there in the world. He wants us to focus on meeting some need right in front of us. He wants us to get up and go to those people in need, see their need, hear their need. That will create compassion in our hearts. And when we feel that compassion, God wants us to sacrifice big time. He wants us to sacrifice for people in need in our community. And that means giving up your time. That means giving up your money. That means giving up your comfort. And biggest of all, that means giving up your safety. I think Christians in America have made an idol out of personal safety. There is no guarantee of personal safety in scripture. You are not promised a long and prosperous life and neither are your kids. What you're told is to sacrifice, sacrifice everything, including your personal safety to walk the Jericho road. That's a dangerous road. Walk the Jericho road to find people in need so that you can see them and hear them and care for them. God is calling us to be like the good Samaritan. He is our example of compassion and sacrifice. So how do we get practical? I want to make sure we don't leave this theoretical, go serve the, you know, the person out there. I want us to make it practical so that every one of us can be doing the Good Samaritan thing here in our town. So that's how we're going to make an impact here in Bryan College Station. Now, some of you are already making an impact. You're already serving with Youth Impact or APO or SOS Ministries. You're already doing something. That's great. I, I just I encourage you. You are doing so great. Keep it up. But for some of you, you're not yet engaged in service. Maybe you don't know who to serve. You're, you don't know who needs your help. You don't know what to do to actually be a good Samaritan here in the Brazos Valley. So I'm going to help you. I'm going to walk you through a lot of different opportunities, organizations and ministries and charitable causes here in the Brazos Valley. Just pick one connect with that charitable cause, volunteer, give your time so that you can show the love of Christ to someone in need, ideally so that you get an opportunity to share the gospel with that person. So I'm going to walk you through this list. You can write down the name of these organizations and look them up on the internet. Or better yet, when you leave here this morning, we've got staff throughout the foyer and throughout the portico outside wearing these awful Puke Green Ask Me How to Get Connected stickers. They're wearing it out of love, not for fashion statement. They want to help you get connected to a need in our community. So I'm going to walk you quickly through the opportunities, but then get with one of them, somebody who has this sticker, and they will give you the website Email address, contact name, and phone number for any organization on this list so that you can get involved. Okay, that's the goal. Pick an organization and get involved. So, as the men go back to prepare communion, let me walk you through some of the different charitable causes and organizations here in our community that you can get plugged in with. I'm going to walk you through this by answering questions that get to your passion or to a skill that you have. I want to connect you with a need that you have a passion to to meet so If you're passionate about fighting hunger, you're just torn up about the idea of somebody not having food when they go to sleep at night, we've got four great organizations here in town, Brazos Church Pantry, The Bridge Ministry, Brazos Valley Food Bank, and Potluck in the Park. All four offer very easy access ways for you to volunteer. So check with them, call all four even, and find one that fits your schedule and your time commitment. All four are great. Or maybe it's not hunger that that really drives your passion to serve. Maybe you really want to work with kids. The idea of under-resourced kids or marginalized kids just breaks your heart and you want to help them. You want to help at-risk youth. I would point you to Youth Impact, which is a ministry here at Grace Bible Church you can serve with, or SOS Ministries or the Bridge Ministry. All three provide excellent service to kids in our community who are marginalized. Maybe the issue for you is actually reducing abortion or uh, helping facilitate adoption. Maybe you're just really torn up about the abortion thing. If that's the case, I'd encourage you to get involved. You can serve at Aguiland Pregnancy Outreach or Hope Pregnancy Center, actually caring for women in crisis pregnancy. They both have tables out under the portico this morning. You can sign up there and get more information about how to actually serve with either of these organizations. Maybe for you, the issue is illiteracy. You, you want to help improve our community by helping adults learn to read. That's huge. I can't often get a job unless they can read. There's a great program at Mounts Library in Bryan. It's called the Adult Literacy Program. Really low commitment. You can just sign up to be a mentor, a tutor in reading, however much time you can give. So we've got the contact information for you if you'd like to help reduce illiteracy in the Brazos Valley. Maybe you want to help international students who come to study here but often don't have the things of life that they need because they're so far from home. You could serve with Bridges International or with our Global Outreach team. and help meet the practical and spiritual needs of international students in our community. Or maybe for you, it's not so much about a particular group to serve. Maybe you're passionate to use some skill God has given you to bless someone. If that's the case, let me help you. Maybe you have a specialized skill of construction. You love building things or you're in the construction industry. You like doing things with your hands. Sign up for Habitat for Humanity. This was actually my charitable cause during college and shortly after college because I love building stuff. I love actually getting my hands dirty and using tools that really generate jazzes me up and what better thing than like build a house? How cool is that? You're done and there's a whole house. that wasn't there. So sign up for Habitat for Humanity. Or maybe you have skills in healthcare. You're, you're a nurse or a physician's assistant or a doctor and you're able to help people. There's a couple of great ministries, Health for All and the Bridge Ministry both provide free healthcare to people who are caught between Medicare and actually being able to afford health insurance. There's a gap there and they help those people. Or maybe for you, you've got some career skill that you'd like to pass on. You know how to fix cars or build cabinetry or do welding. or so. You've got some career skill you could give to someone. Well, check out Jobs for Life. That's a ministry here at Grace or SOS Ministries. They both do job training to help people who are unemployed get the skills they need to become employed. So great opportunities if you've got a skill you'd like to use. Finally, maybe you are passionate about some need outside of the United States. Maybe you just can't get those pictures of refugees drowning out of your mind, or maybe Africa really is tugging at your heart, or maybe you are really torn up over kids cowering in fear at Afghanistan, and the thought of those needs just keeps coming up every day to you. That may be God getting your attention that it's time to go. You can't do much for any of those needs here. Maybe God is calling you to go live among those people, walk their Jericho road with them so that you can show them the love of Christ. If that's the case, I would encourage you to connect with our global outreach team who can help you think through the next steps to getting on the field, serving some international crisis for the glory of Jesus. Now, this morning, we have a privilege at the end of of all of these charitable groups. We get to stop and celebrate communion. Communion is our opportunity to remember that the reason that we serve in the community, the reason we hand out food or build houses is because ultimately we want to introduce men and women to the grace of Jesus Christ. We want to tell people that the greatest Samaritan of all is God's son. What did Jesus do? He left heaven. Talk about going. He came all the way here to earth, took on our flesh, lived among our pain and limitations, and then talk about sacrifice. He gave his life on our behalf. He died for our sins and rose from the dead to set us free from sin and death. That's the great news of the gospel. That is the great hope of mankind. And so we serve here in the Brazos Valley or overseas so that we get an opportunity to introduce people to the love of Jesus Christ. Christ. And so that's what we're going to celebrate now. Men, if you'll come forward, what I want you to do as the men are passing out communion is I want you to think about what Jesus gave up for you. What did he give up to serve you in the midst of your need? What did he sacrifice on your behalf? Spend the next couple minutes thinking about the sacrifices of Jesus. Lord Jesus, we praise you and we thank you. That like the good Samaritan, you came to us. In the midst of our need, you didn't keep yourself distant. Instead, you sacrificed your time, your comfort, and most of all, your life. So that we could be delivered from sin and have life in your name. We praise you and we thank you for your gift to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your Son. We thank you for the sacrifice that you have made for us. We pray, Heavenly Father, that when we feel worried or anxious about this election or about events going on in our world, we pray that you would help us to remember how much you have already done for us. Please help us to remember what you have promised us. Help us to remember the hope and love and confidence we have in you. I pray. God, that you would help us to be lights of peace and courage even in troubled times. And I pray that the result would be thousands of people turning to Jesus because of us. We pray, God, that you would use us to serve this community in the name and for the glory of Jesus, your son. In his name we pray, amen. Now, if you'll stand, let's respond in worship.